This is episode 40 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy, brought to you by Everything Cowboy. Special guest, Sean Morton, calling to us live from the garage, the Beat Laboratory. <laughs> it's true. In Spruce Grove, Alberta. This is like a milestone episode then. Yeah, it's the 40, 40th episode. 40 episode 40, 40. I mean, there's 26 hey, a year, so 40 boys. is kind of made up. But Congratulations, what? eh? <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks, Sean. I mean, Real. you guys started this and you stuck with it. You've been on time with your releases week after week. You've had some awesome guests. <laughs> you should be happy about it. I appreciate it, Sean. Feel it's, proud. I feel, uh, I'm. I don't know, something that we're doing. And we're doing it. It's cool, like the amount of recognition we, we get around. Like even at Kindersley, I was Kindersley Kin- for that. Yeah, like they're like a bunch of people, like Dave and Sarah Becker. They're like, big podcast yeah, fans. Yeah, big pod fans. Shout out, like Garrett Becker's Garrett Story. You know Garrett Story, Mitch the Rock and the Four Fifty Four Band. Yeah, they were man. They played the dance last night. And they were yeah, awesome. Fucking sweet. They Mark killed it. Good. And anyways, so uh, Story. You said Story. Garrett Story. Yeah, he's yeah, a he big was pod big, fan. big pod fan. Like nice. bunch of, like it. it was, I, like, like it's it. crazy. Like people come up to like, oh, I love the podcast. Like it's sweet. Glad to hear it, Wace. Glad to hear it, man. Celebrities. One of a kind. And Sean. Sean's also a, a avid listener. I haven't missed an episode. He's so an OG listener. An OG right from the beginning. And also, Sean also uh also has been on is this your second appearance now on the show? Second, yep. Yeah. I second came appearance. in for a real compelling topic last time, and this episode <laughs> should be no different. <laughs> well, we're gonna actually expand on that topic. We might as well start off with that. Current events. Let's start with yeah, Old Town Road, the music video. That what a banger! It's relevant to this podcast because Wacy just loves that song. It's his, it's his jam. It's his favorite song. He talks about it and he lives it. So let's get into it. <laughs> let's, let's get into it. <laughs> you couldn't have said it any better. How That's many song of the summer by far? Wacy, how many pairs of Old Town Road Wrangler on my booty jeans do you own? Go none. Oh, I would like to own yet. a pair, but when's your? So birthday? that's why December fourteenth. Oh, we can we can probably get it done by then. Well, I mean, you are a Wrangler endorsee. And Dorsey, so like I already texted you, my guy about you it. You probably know gonna a need a round of Old Town Road, Road jeans for the They're boys. They're sold out according to Instagram comments. So man, that's that. the best move Wrangler could have done with that. Like embrace it and I like, don't take advantage of it. I wonder if they paid for it ahead of time. Like I don't know if like I wonder if that. Right, there's no way because he like that so? like that guy like recorded Old Town Road like he wasn't signed like he just like made just it like he was an Instagram like an Insta famous guy yeah and, like a Twitter guy and he just recorded that song and it went crazy yeah, yeah. it's impressive. It's interesting to see like the backlash of the hardcore Wrangler people commenting how disappointed they were and then oh, the other side of people yeah. that just wanted the jeans and wanted to know when they'd be yeah, available screw that it'd be dumb of Ranger to not go after it there's like a whole, well, new, it's, a, a whole it's a way to break in the mainstream you Sean last time we were on you talked about some of the stats on that song and like it yeah so that's the biggest song in the world by yeah. the numbers and it's mentioning Wrangler and it's mentioning bull riding and boobies to millions of people that have never heard of Wrangler so why wouldn't Wrangler capitalize on that they they couldn't mm-hmm. not smart move by Wrangler and people I just see the close mindness of some people that they don't they don't understand definitely so in other current events stanley cup predictions by the time this is out we'll be into a few games into the finals but what do you think blues blues and six blues and six Mm -hmm. Mm, i'd like to see the blues win too yeah they're they're getting tough boston's a good team i'm gonna go seven i'm gonna say seven blues and seven seven. what do you think well i better pick boston just because you guys aren't (laughs) yeah so we're gonna put a friendly cherry's listening so he's got somebody on here supporting his team should we put a friendly wager on it among sound uh beers music music directories of uh alberta let's do a round of beers we'll be together at one point we can yeah buy a round of beers okay 
Okay, deal. Yeah, okay, Stanley Cup. What about the NBA Finals? How about those Raptors? It's cool. It's kind of like what when like the Jays went deep in the playoffs. Yeah. And like when they won the American League. Yeah. The whole country coming together over a sport yeah. that's like not non-conventional to Canada is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like even just like just like scrolling through Twitter and seeing like the reaction of people. Oh yeah, and, and through the like, whole playoffs. Like, yeah. The it's game amazing. seven in round two, two was incredible. Like. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was wild. We were sitting in the it's production like, room last night, late at like pretty late in the game it was I don't know it was only it was pretty late where we were we didn't get out of the mm-hmm. building till maybe 12.30 or something by the time the game was over mm-hmm. but it was like Peter Peter was there Jeff was there Jason like Brandon a bunch of our crew we just sat and hung out and had a couple beers and just yeah. watched the end of the game it was the uh, some of the folks left but Peter and Jeff and I we, we stayed and, and Tiffany we stayed until we saw a bunch of the reactions saw yeah, some comments it's and cool. stuff. it was like a it's a monumental piece of Canadian sports history 25 years in the making yeah the mm-hmm. first Canadian team to ever make the NBA final mm-hmm. Could be the first ones to win. What do you guys think the chances of, of us winning are, though? Given my lack of knowledge in basketball, but yep. I just want to go with the Raptors because I'm a, obviously Homer. Canadian. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I think that the Raptors won the season series against Golden State. Okay. So, but that okay. Doesn't, obviously doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, but... Yeah, true. It, it's a good sign. And with the way Kawhi Leonard's playing, it's ins- that guy's a beast, man. He's impressive, isn't yeah. he? They're definitely underdogs, but nobody's counting them out just based yeah. off their performance so far. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So they've been, been really saying, resilient. Raptors in how many? What are you thinking? Oh, like seven. Raptors in seven. Yeah. I got to go with that too. I've mm-hmm. got to do the same one. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Sean? I'll go with that too. I'm not going to disagree. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they're not, I don't think they're winning in Golden State. It'll be like the same kind of series that they just had against Milwaukee and like those, those last two series. Like they'll, they have home court, man. Oh, they do have home court. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shoot. I, I don't, yeah. Well, they're at, it starts at Monday. Yeah. So at home, well, it's already started. Well. It's already happening by the time the show's out. But mm. did you guys yeah. pay attention to all the shit Drake was doing at those games on the sidelines? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Big fan. Like, I wonder if the Flames of the Oilers were going to have somebody like that, like who it would be and what they could do. They're, the Flames have Terry Terry Cahill. <laughs> they already have a guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the guy. He's already in there. He's already done that, man. Yeah, he's the guy. They just don't have as cool of access at hockey rinks. Yeah, they, he, there's no courtside seats. Yeah. You can't like be on the bench. They just put him Can to you the imagine if he was on the bench? Oh, I'd be insane. If he was on the what? He, they well, they just send him wow. to the to the bleeders, and he just loves it up there. Wow, top of the dome, do you? <laughs> 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 Ted, how's it been flying across the country every week? Uh, well, I'm three weeks into it so far, and I really thought I was going to make it to the golf course today, but I got home and just went to my bed and did not pass go, did not collect $200, went directly to sleep for five hours for the afternoon. What's your preferred airline? WestJet. <laughs> Swoop. And what's your status these days? Are you climbing we're, a ladder? We're silver right now, but, you know, hoping to get the gold by the end of the year. Those, oh, uh, how, so what, yeah, how much does gold differ from plot? You guys spent $5,000 on flights, and that's just the... F- light span that doesn't count all the taxes and fees so it's probably like seven thousand dollars in flights in a year but then you get like free lounge pass they just change it so it's like free lounge passes you can get some upgrades maybe if you pay extra which is horseshit but i don't know you get to pick your seats ahead of time and you get to have free check bags which is actually worth quite a bit when you got to fly 25 bucks isn't it cables across the country every week and microphones and crap like that right. so i had my first long flight experience in first class and it was it was quite nice it it delivered that was the Mexico trip, right? Yeah, I didn't pay for it. I had sat down in my window seat, and the lady came and told me I had to move, and I was pissed because I didn't want to. I like the window seat. I'm a window seat guy. Yeah. Then she told me you move up to row four. So I'm yeah. trying trying to act like it's no big deal, but yeah, half smiling. On the inside, you're just like, fuck yeah. Oh dang, <laughs> dang. That was a flight. I posted a picture. There was a guy 
leaving Mexico City wearing a C5 rodeo hat. Oh, oh that's right. wild. Yeah, remember seeing that. World takeover, C5 they're big rodeo. Down, big, they're huge in Mexico right now. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of world takeovers, though, our, our guest this week on the 40th episode of Cowboy Shit is our friend Peter Jabrad. This is episode 40 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacey. Our guest on episode 40 needs an introduction because he's not one to talk about himself. He's a pyrotechnician, a business owner. He's co-founder of an awesome organization we'll hopefully hear about. He's been involved in aspects of production of some of North America's most premier sporting events. And he's the current production manager of the PBR Canada Monster Energy Tour, Peter Jabrad. Wow. That's nice. uh, that's Thanks. impressive, Sean. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. I think I'm going to have to quit because I just, I've never wrote an intro that good. <laughs> well. Did you spend your entire work day today doing, like building that? Just to drive home thinking about that. I like it. So. We are in at, at the kitchen at HQ. We've got a bottle of wine going, got some glasses of water, got the light up sign over here. And uh, we just had a big steak, you know, thanks to Scott Schiffner for the beef. And Did we're a good here. job on that, Ted. Yeah. And we're here with, uh, yeah, our friend Peter Jabrat and Sean Morton. Yeah, it's cool to be on this episode. I've known Pete for over 10 years and I've certainly benefited from knowing him and being mentored by him and seeing uh, the cool stuff he's put together in different areas of production. So yeah, it'll be neat to hear from him directly more about his career and what he's up to now. I think our first gig was uh, CFR, wasn't it? It would have been, yeah. We've got to do a lot of stuff together since then. Uh, a lot of work at Calgary Stampede, different great cops in Western Canada. Just, yeah, different events throughout Alberta. And I'll never forget doing the bull riding and Alex together. Well, we've, we've got time if you guys want to get started with that one. It sounds like fun, but we, Sean, we can go later. Yeah, Sean and I are working in Alex. This little little town, little bull riding. Yeah. Uh, total audience of maybe three or 400 people. Yeah, I, I rode there one time. Did you really? Yeah, at the Alex Icebreaker Bullerama. So we're working on a Friday night and, and Sean tells me that he's about to propose to his girlfriend. Oh, I think I have heard this story. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Sean, when are you doing it? Because I'm doing it this weekend. I'm like, seriously. And, and then I find out that I'm the only person that he's told. He hasn't told a friend. He hasn't told his parents. He hasn't told, he doesn't tell anybody. And so now I'm in the, the position of trying to give him advice. Sean, what was my advice? The first part of that story is fun. The, so the second part is, yeah, Peter being the guy he is. You no, know, he asked me what my plan is and, you know, he just has some good advice. You know, this is a important thing and, you know, think about what you're going to wear and what you're going to say and what you're going to do. And then I just happened to ask Pete, I said, you know, what did you do? when you got engaged to your wife, Melinda. So he tells me this story about how, Pete, you can correct me if this is wrong, but they went for a nice meal, but then he had somebody helping him out and they went for a walk in a park. He made it kind of sound like it was impromptu, but then there was all these these rows of candles and this this gazebo with music. And I rented 400 candle holders and, and uh, outlined a path that went to a gazebo where I had music playing and and then... Uh, and that's where we did it. Yeah. So Pete tells me this story and I, I was like, Pete, fuck you, man. Like, <laughs> how am I ever like, like, I was feeling pretty good about my plan and now I just, <laughs> I don't feel good about it at all. But he kind of talked me down off the ledge. He asked me what I had planned and he said, you know what? That's you and that'll work fine. And and just go for it and good luck. So it did turn out good in the end, but I had a few moments of doubt after hearing Pete's grandiose plan. And I should have, knowing the kind of guy he is, I really should have known that that's what he was going to say to me because uh, I wouldn't expect anything less. 
Well, I, I like getting both sides of that story because I've heard it from, I think I've heard it from your side, Pete, but I haven't heard it from Sean's side. So that was mm-hmm. quite entertaining. But okay, Peter, we got to talk about the Unreal FX and beginning in bull riding. And, and Sean and I actually talked about this the other day, but we need to talk about a part, another podcast. We got to call them out because they had a bullshit claim that they were the ones that started the fire in the dirt, but that's not the case. In it's the, not in the, the case. No, it's not. Yeah. So we got to go all the way back. Like, wh- where was your first fireworks gig, pyro gig? What was what was the first one? And and tell us kind of the story from then to now, like the saga of Pete Javad. Wow, it's a long story, but it really started when I was working in Edmonton. I was working at West Edmonton Mall in the marketing department. I was the marketing coordinator for the mall, actually, and and I had found this little company in out of Strathmore, Alberta, a gentleman by the name of Jim Kamart. I was running this pyro technic company, fireworks company. You got to realize that back then this pyrotechnics was extremely novel there. You didn't see them at, at events and sporting events. And there's a few places that were using it, but again, it was pretty novel. And, uh, and so I'd found this guy who was doing some pretty cool stuff. And I brought him in to do a bunch of pyrotechnics with some of the different special events that we were doing at West Edmonton Mall. And over a span of a year and a half, two years of doing some of that stuff, I, Jim and I started to get to know each other. And he started telling me that he was getting courted by NBA teams and NHL teams in the States and, and and they wanted his services and and he didn't know how to build his company to be able to go down and capture all this interest in indoor pyrotechnics. Well, long story short, I, I made the move and and jumped over as the general manager of Unreal Effects and 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 we we opened up the doors for Unreal USA and we started doing work down down south. I'll never forget the first gig. Uh, I, I was still actually working at the mall and I knew I was I was going to jump ship and I came down. God, it was been 94, 95, uh, I, maybe even 96. I, I came down to Calgary because uh, the Flames were playing San Jose in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was game seven and Unreal Effects was hired to do a bunch of pyrotechnics. Of the pyrotechnics that we were doing, we were doing, we were going to light this giant sea on the ice. And the sea was, it was literally 30 feet. It was the size of the of the emblem that's on the ice and this thing was built in two different parts and I'll never forget being a part of this show because I had no idea what was going on I literally drove down and and, and showed up a couple hours before the event and here I am on ice level introduced to the flames coming out of the Zamboni tunnel and pyrotechnics are shooting all over the place and and I'm literally as green as green can be I was on a headset and the and the director called for the removal of the big C from the ice and so I'm like oh fuck I, I, nobody else is doing it so I better go do it so I jump on the ice and, and the flames are warming up and San Jose's warming up and I disconnect this sea and I'm pulling half this sea across the ice and and all of a sudden they start playing the national anthem and I'm oh, like no. I am on the ice and I made it to the blue line and so I ended up this this game is broadcast live across the country and here's Pete with a half a fucking sea <laughs> standing in front of him standing in and amongst all the players I'll never oh, forget no. that I'll never forget that taught me you know like you need to make sure that every single person on on your crew needs to know what they're doing like, and what's happening in the show so that you don't have errors like that. Man, oh man, I'll never forget that. Oh, geez. so uncomfortable. But that was my first gig, I guess. And uh, it got a lot more spectacular after that. So, <laughs> yeah. But you got to stand on the blue line with an NHL team during the national anthem <laughs> of a game yeah. seven, <laughs> and you weren't and you weren't the the Scotiabank skater either. Trust me, I didn't want to be there. <laughs> oh man, how did they miss that though? To where you got in that spot? Well, I was right at the Zamboni Tunnel, which was where we were we were shooting the pyro for the intro of the of the guys and um, and all the other pyrotechnicians around me and Jim had had left to go do something else, and so I was the only one that was still on calm with the director and when. 
and she called for that. She didn't realize that the plan was to remove the C after the anthem. And so everybody was waiting for that, but I didn't know. Yeah. So I, I screwed the cue. And, uh, <laughs> so Pete, you, you spoke about the early days and how pyrotechnics were a novelty then. And you're working with Jim Kamartz, who is Nikki Flundra's dad. But when you guys were in your heyday, you were traveling all over North America and working at the biggest sporting events that existed, correct? Yeah, it didn't take very long after we, we launched in the United States. I believe one of the first gigs we did is we opened the MCI Center in Washington where the Capitals play and, and the Wizards play. We did a show for uh, Bill Clinton was the president. He was in attendance and and, and and we blew it up real good. Like we we did a really good job and, and word spread fast in, in both the NBA and the NHL about our services and uh, and the phone calls started coming in and before we knew it, all of a sudden I was, I was designing and implementing Pyro for nine different NBA teams and seven different NHL teams. We, we were fortunate enough to do two NBA All-Star games. We did a Major League Baseball All-Star game. We were able to go to the Super Bowl 2001. So we, we really built a, a reputation of being special effects suppliers into professional sport. It was, it was a really exciting right. run. I was able to see a lot of incredible moments. I can recall you saying that after September 11th, the whole business of pyrotechnics changed for you guys and for the whole industry. I believe. It did. Cost of doing business changed a lot. The insurance went through the roof. Plus, we lost a lot of NBA business because of the of the mood that was in the United States. And after 9-11, pyrotechnics and, and blowing things up were, were just not conducive to what people wanted to see and do. That coincided actually with an NHL ruling within months of 9-11, where they banned the use of pyrotechnics for pregame use. There was a few companies, ad hoc companies that were doing pyrotechnics, but they weren't very good at it. And they would, there was a couple of different instances of, of debris on the ice and too much smoke in the air and that caused uh, broadcast delays. And, and so Gary Bettman decided to uh, to ban uh, pyrotechnics. And it was a pretty devastating blow having that happen as well as 9-11 and what happened with all our MBA business. And so it was very sad, but that company didn't survive it. But out of that uh, came ProEffects, which is the company that Eric Salter Peterson and I started. And at that time, we decided to just do work in, in Canada. Still did a few odd jobs in the United States, but primarily we were a pyrotechnic, a Canadian pyrotechnic company. Sean, I'm going to jump in here. I want Peter to tell the story about the singer at the NBA All-Star game that you spent a few weeks with. You've told that one a oh. few times. I want to, I want you to tell us that story. That one's so much fun. You might not actually know is the NBA, it wasn't publicized very well, but a couple of years prior to me getting involved with working for the actual NBA, as opposed to just a team, they had incorporated pyrotechnics in an All-Star game. And I don't know which company did it, but there was a concussion that was set off way too close to a player and a player actually missed games over the incident. So the NBA was very, very, very leery about continuing with pyrotechnics at their All-Star game. And they actually didn't do any pyrotechnics for a couple of years after that. And then when the NBA All-Star game went to Washington, the staff there convinced them that they had a pyro guy who really knew what he was doing, had them fooled. And so they decided to incorporate pyrotechnics again. Well, they really wanted to make sure that I was there for the entire process. So they brought me in a couple of weeks prior to the game just for consulting purposes. So we didn't have any crew there. And I was there all by myself and they were in the building preparing, rehearsing, rehearsing halftime elements, pregame elements. And, and I would be called into situations where there would be pyrotechnics ensuring that we weren't too close to the audience or, or performers. And I think it was Harry Connick Jr. that was the halftime show for that game. Well, I would have to go to the, the cafeteria and I was by myself and I, I'd grab some food and the place was packed. And I looked for a table and I sit down beside a girl there. I asked her if, if, if I could sit down and enjoy dinner with 
her. And well, I got along well with her. So, and she was there by herself as well. So we ended up having lunch and dinner together for the better part of two weeks. And it wasn't until about six months after that game where all of a sudden I'm looking on TV and I'm like, I, I, I couldn't believe that all of a sudden the girl that I met was <laughs> actually now recording. And, and that was Alicia Keys, is who, yeah. who I got to know well at the NBA All-Star game. So yeah, that's <laughs> that's one of many stories of life on the road. And I want to touch on a few events that Peter's been involved in many years at Calgary Stampede with kind of the culmination being the 100-year centennial for Calgary Stampede where we had fireworks at five different locations. We produced an international scale fireworks show in five different locations in the city, synchronized together to live music performed at the Stampede, broadcast on a couple of different radio stations. It was quite the project and we did it six times over the span of the Stampede. The largest firework project ever in Canada by far. We brought in over a hundred pyrotechnicians from across North America to help pull the project off. It was produced by not only my company, but it was co-produced with uh, Fireworks Spectaculars. Brad Zodel over there, we, the two of us worked tirelessly on this project and it went off well. It, uh, it was a moment that I'll never forget. Technically, the biggest challenge I've ever been a part of. So, Do you want to tell a story about how that came to be? <laughs> you don't have to, but I remember hearing that one. It was quite interesting too. Well, it was the year before and it was a couple of days before the stampede and I'm, I'm on the tarmac and we're having a trailer rehearsal for the grandstand show and there was a delay and I, I, I look over and I see Paul Rosenberg, vice president of the Calgary Stampede, good friend of mine for many, many years and I see him standing over there. So I, I go over and have a little visit with him and I said to Paul, Paul, I got an idea and, uh, and, I, and I sort of in a manner of 20 seconds, I blurted out this idea of, of producing large-scale fireworks show all across the city synchronized together. And he told me, he says, Pete, that's a great idea, but that's that's a, at a scale that we've, th- th- that, that money's allocated. Like, we don't, like, we, you needed to come to us years ago for something of that that scale. And I said, fair enough. Well, uh, about two days after the Calgary Stampede, Paul gives me a call, and I'm sitting in the office, and he says, Pete, we, we hosted representatives from the, the province over the Stampede, because they've given us a $5 million grant to execute various functions or various activities for the centennial. And we displayed and went through and we gave a proposal of everything that we were planning on doing for the centennial and they didn't like it because everything was on park and people had to pay to go on park and the province wanted the money to go towards things that were complimentary or free. And so he right away said uh, to them, I have another idea and it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, doing this firework show around because they had nothing else in, in the back of their pocket. Right? But you like, told him this story. Yeah. And so he presented, without me knowing it, he presented <laughs> to the province this idea and they loved it. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there on the phone. I'm like, so what are you telling me, Paul? And he's like, we got to do this. And so (laughs) after the end of a 45-minute phone call, I went from not even thinking this thing was even a dream to securing the largest firework contract I could have ever imagined putting together. So yeah, yeah, kind of a crazy moment. Who you know, you know, it's who you know. Peter, there's been some highlights like you talked about with the biggest contract ever with the Calgary Stampede, but there's also been some lowlights. Oh yeah, there's been (laughs) (laughs) lowlights. The one that you've told already that I know about that I think everybody would appreciate is the one about the Anaheim Ducks. I think we should get into that one. Well, the Anaheim Mighty Ducks had a, when they were owned by Disney, they had a mascot called Wild Wing and and they flew them in in the beginning of every lights out, duck flies, spotlights, big crowd moment. And so for their home opener, I would say this would be 1999, maybe 2000. They flew in the duck and they wanted him to jump over a wall of fire. And so they contracted us out to provide that 
wall of fire. Well, we rehearsed it several times without a hitch. And of course, in live show, things things can be a little different. And, and the duck missed the center of the mini tramp. And one of his legs went through the sprocket, you know, where the springs are on a mini tramp? Yeah. And it just immediately, like in a matter of uh, like a quarter of a second, face planted him straight into the wall of fire. Well, we had a safety switch and the fire turned off instantly the second that it went wrong. But the problem was, <laughs> is that when he, he hit so hard that his head jarred, so he couldn't see. So the last thing he saw was going into fire. So he thinks he's on fire and the spotlights are on him. And he's like, his leg is still wrenched in this stupid mini tramp and he's beating the crap out of himself thinking that he's on fire. Well, he <laughs> was horrible. He ended up spraining his knee. He couldn't walk, so he couldn't even skate off the ice. He had to get helped off the It was a bad, bad, bad moment. The moment actually still continues to be on all-time top 10 mascot bloopers. I, I still see it on TSN. I still get reminded of that horrible moment. That is one of the not-so-highlights of my career. <laughs> <laughs> I think that line from Talladega Nights of Save Me Tom Cruise is actually from that moment. <laughs> That's where they found it, eh? Oh man. I love that story every time just to to be able to tell it too, like for you to for you to tell it, I, I think it's it says something about yourself too, where you're humble and you're one of the greatest pyro people of all time, but you can tell that story and, and laugh about it now. I think I think that says a lot about who Peter Jabrat is. Well, you are a sum of your experiences. And I have felt that way my entire life. And, and for that, I'm extremely fortunate. The moments like that are really who, what defines you, uh, what you learn from it, what you take from it as you move forward in life. And that particular moment, I have others where things didn't go that well, have helped me in, in the success that I've had in my life. Okay, so the Mighty Ducks, the Alicia Keys, the Super Bowl, MLB All-Star Games, the PBR, when does this come into play? Well... PBR celebrated their 25th year. So this would have been in the 90s. Jim Kamart was really the, the first one that was was playing with some of the, the effects. And his relationship with Cody Snyder got us into the arena when he first started producing bull-only events, which actually started happening before the PBR. And so when the PBR formed and put together their first tour, they contacted Cody Snyder and said, hey, who are those guys that are, are lighting your arena on fire? And that's how we got connected with the PBR. And, and so I designed and helped produce the pyrotechnics and special effects with Jim Kamart on the first two years of the PBR. And unfortunately, the, the costs were so high. And, and I was learning so much at that time, very early on in my career in the United States and underestimating things like union costs when we would go into Madison Square Gardens and to the Fleet Center in Boston and and losing our shirt on some of these shows because of that. And then the PBR just wasn't ready at that point. They didn't, they weren't big enough to be able to afford the increases that we were, where we were needing to make it worthwhile. So after two years, um, we, we decided to part ways and, it was all cordial. It wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing or so. Yeah, we, we did the first two years of the PBR. And, and then after that, I continued to do production and, and pyrotechnics for all of Cody Snyder's events, including when he was awarded the extreme bulls tour. So I was, uh, I was back in the States and this would be mid two thousands helping over a bunch of years with uh, events in San Antonio. At the time I, I, it was the largest audience ever for a bull riding event. Only we, we, the Houston Rodeo dedicated one of their nights to an Extreme Bulls. And so we, we were able to produce that event. So that was a pretty interesting evening. It's been a lot, a lot of bull events, a lot of dirt events for me over over, over my career. 
I, I can honestly say that there's nobody that has that experience blowing stuff up and top of dirt that I do. So I take a great amount of pride in it. It's I love it. Well, and speaking of the dirt, there's a certain thing that happens at PBR events that folks that haven't been to one might not realize, but most folks that listen to this podcast probably do know. You were the first person to light the dirt on fire or have pyrotechnic fluid light on fire in the dirt. Yeah, I actually have a photo. I think I'm 17 or 18 years old at a campfire and I actually wrote my name in dirt on uh, <laughs> uh, at a campfire. So I, yeah, it's something that we were the first and I can tell you that every market was such a, a difficult process trying to convince fire departments that we were going to pour this flammable fluid in the dirt and then light it on fire. Didn't go over very well when you're on the phone and took a lot of massaging, a lot of demos, a lot of safety procedures, but uh, we were able to convince every market except for Quebec City. Yes. <laughs> Still today, 20 years later. Yeah, yeah. Quebec is still tough. But yeah, we were the first. Yeah, write it down. That was the first. Peter's the first. <laughs> we got to talk Lupe Cup. You spend half of your year in Mexico, and you've done this since since selling ProFX. That's correct. Talk about the Lupe Cup. Talk about the Salvation Ar- Army Orphanage and the uh, El Refugio. Refugio? El Refugio. Uh, Refugio Mazalan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, well, where do I start? Five years ago, Melinda, my wife and I, we decided to start spending winters abroad. Thought we'd spend our first winter in Mazalan, Mexico. In our first couple of weeks there, we wanted to do some volunteer work. So we walked onto the property of an orphanage, a property uh, managed by the Salvation Army. And we found a, a pretty dilapidated property with, um, with not enough staff and the infrastructure was really rough shape. They didn't have enough money for food or proper medical care or anything. Thing. And, and Melinda and I, we, we rolled up our sleeves and started helping. And as w- the more we helped, the more people started to come on board with our projects that we were working on. And, and as that continued to grow, the relationships with the kids actually started to grow. And we started to fall in love with the 26 kids that lived at this home. And, and it really has been the fork in our road. It, uh, in, as now these kids and their needs and the needs of other orphanages now that we're getting involved in in, in Mazatlan, are starting to define who we are. These are tremendously amazing children. They don't even know what the the word entitlement means. uh, And they're so appreciative of everything that they get. And so my wife and I, we formed a foundation. We called it the Gems of Mazatlan four years ago. It was uh, recognized as a, an official charity here in Canada. And we've we've decided to not leave a stone unturned in the care for these children. And so we continue to spend our winters there. My wife uh, is happens to be there right now. I'm going back down in August for a couple of weeks, and and I'm excited to say that we've we're 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 even expanding. We've we bought an apartment building that we're renovating right now. We'll be opening the doors in August, and this is going to be a transition home for the for graduates from orphanages in the Mazatlan area to be able to move into, learn how to be an adult, further their their education and put these kids in, in a position where they actually really, truly, truly have a chance of, of, of succeeding. It's, it's something we're passionate about. And yeah. The main fundraising event each year, there's two of them. There's, there's the breakfast in the winter in Mazatlan. And then there's the Lupe Cup, which is September in, at your house here in Calgary. Right. Lupe Cup. That's why you started this the whole time in the first place. Sorry about that. (laughs) No, that's okay. Okay. So yeah, we're going to have our fifth Lupe Cup this year. What we do is we transform our house into an event center and we challenge 10 people every year to raise pledges on their bid to win the Lupe Cup. And on uh, September 7th this year, Lupe Cup is in our house and We've got our 10 people, which includes our host, Ted Stoven. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be good. I don't know if I'm as nervous as, as you were to do the podcast, but I'm, I'm excited and nervous and I don't know what to think right now. 
it's a fun night. It's a, uh, it's designed to be a, a night for us to say thank you to all the people that help raise f- money for the kids. And so I, uh, no need to be nervous. It's uh, it's going to be a fun night. Uh, we got to ask about the, some of the details with the Lupe cup though. Where do people donate? Tell us about that side of the things and how that all works. Cause I know I've got to raise a bunch of money to be able to even show up on September 7th. Yes. You've committed to, yeah. uh, to raising a minimum of $500. Yeah. But if you want to take a shot at winning the cup, you're going to yeah. need to raise $2,500, yeah. which will get you uh, what we call a Rapido Pass. Yeah. And uh, if you want to support uh, Ted's uh, bid for the Lupe Cup, visit our website, which is a wiki site. Uh, just uh, just Google the Gems of Mazelan and you'll find that website. Yeah. And click the donate button and there'll be a spot on there where you can say that your pledge is towards uh, Ted Stoven. And we will mark that down as, as part of his bid for the Lupe Cup. Yeah. So yeah, Ted, Peter mentioned that you're going to be raising money for that event and there's a tremendous amount of pressure on you because last year's champion at the Lupe Cup, Brett Gardner. So um, it's on you to try and keep that championship in the PBR Canada family. <laughs> yeah. How did Jason do? Did he did he compete too? Jason enjoyed a few too many libations <laughs> and uh, I, I th- he struggled at the end. No, I think he finished top four in, in the competition. Okay. But we give away two flights. Uh, WestJet flights, uh, and he won that. So he, okay. he walked away pretty happy. So it okay. was, was good. So I got to ask, what's what's the most anybody's raised? Because I, like, I want to try and like beat everybody here. Like, what do I got to, what do we got to do? Last year, one of our competitors shattered the record and raised $6,200. Okay. So that's, that's the most. Uh, just to give you perspective, uh, six people last year got repeato passes. So okay. six people raised out 20. Out of 10. Yeah, out of 10 raised okay. 2,500 or, or more. Yeah. And last year broke our overall record. We raised $32,000 at the Lupe Cup. Awesome. And yeah. how much have you raised in the in the four years so far? 98, 90, something in the 90s. I, I, I don't know the exact That's number. That's okay. Yeah. What, are, what do the funds go to? Tell us about that a little bit. Oh, it uh, it goes to whatever is needed. And that's what's so special about the money is it's not targeted. Is is Melinda and I can go down with that money in our, our charity's bank account and integrate our lives with the kids and and understand where the problems are. We're there every day, so we know when the septic system fails Mm -hmm. and needs to be addressed. We know when the stove keeps failing because Melinda cooks on it a couple times a week. So that's what it goes towards. We take every kid personally. We drive them to the dentist every year. Melinda actually this week is bringing two young girls uh, to the orthodontist, getting braces put on those girls. And it, and it just continues to go on. I can make a list as, as long as my arm with all the different things that we get, we've, we've been involved in. But it's from solar electricity to help with their efficiency, water purification. We fund a tutor to help them. A lot of these kids, they show up at these orphanages and they've never seen the inside of a school. Might be 10 years old and they they don't know how to spell, read or write. And and so we bring in specialized tutors to make sure that they get caught up and it, it just goes on. And that's where the money goes. It's firsthand. 100% of the money goes to whatever is needed down there. And uh, I encourage anybody and everybody to uh, to find Mazatlan in your travels and and if you do, come look us up and we'll come and introduce you to the kids and the amazing things that the Gems of Mazelan is doing for them. But it's a total game changer to show up there and see the kids. And I couldn't believe how happy they were and how everything seemed totally fine. And I had no idea about where they came from or what their circumstances were to be in that point to not have any parents. I mean, I can't imagine living like that. And I, I was glad to give a few hours twice, you know, when we were down there, but like, I just yeah, you were great. can't you were imagine great. what you Loved guys, having you down there. you guys do so much for them. It's, it's so, so incredible. 
kids are amazingly resilient. You know, you see some of this stuff on TV with kids with flies on their mouth. It's not, it's not like that at all. Like these kids don't know any better. So just because they live in a piece of shit and they don't get, they don't have proper food on the table, that doesn't change the fact that they're still kids and they still laugh and they, and they still act like kids. And then it, absolutely breaks your heart when you find out that they, they come from a situation of abuse or neglect or their parents have died or or whatever situation that has led them to, to living in one of these homes. It's inspiring to tell you the truth. It's inspiring to see children so appreciative and so free with their love to, to people like Melinda and I. It's eye-opening. And yeah. One of the f- uh, people that came with us to Mazatlan last year was Casey Albert. And we met Casey through the PBR's Monster Energy Tour, which we've been part of for the the last four seasons now, but Casey lives in New York City and she met us down there and, and, and you've got to know her really well in the last few years, but let's talk a little bit about the, the Monster Energy Tour we've, we've been working on the past. This is our fourth season already now here in Canada. Yeah, man, I love, I love this job. Like I, I've had so many amazing opportunities in my life, but I, I have to say that this is my most favorite job I've ever had, working as the production manager for, uh, for this tour. I really believe that we're building something special. This tour is, um, is the elite of everything in Canada when it comes to bull riding. It's the best bull riders. It's the best announcers. It's the best technicians, the best production staff that this country has to offer. And it continues to grow. I love the synergy that's happening between this team. We don't stand for, for the norm. We, we always want to take it to another level. And there's great camaraderie. And I think that we're going somewhere special with this tour. If you haven't ever seen a Monster Energy Tour event, you need to come out because it's not like the other. It truly is not. And we're going to continue to grow it. We're not going to settle with what what we've got now, it's going to keep getting better and better and better. Every time. And this weekend, we haven't talked about dates at all on anything, which is ideal for the podcast side of things. But this weekend, we're in Moncton, New Brunswick. Next week, we're in Halifax, Nova Scotia. We've got events in Abbotsford, BC this year. Edmonton, Alberta, and then we finish up with the finals in Saskatoon. But I, I love those events too. It's the only team I really get to work with consistently on a week to week basis, whether we're in, you know, different cities that way. But with the rodeos, it's kind of all separate. So it makes it challenging that way to have a team and to build things where we got to try and build an event in a weekend at a rodeo where with our tour, we have calls every week. We have another one coming up tomorrow. We had one today. You know, we have one or two calls a week on the different ways to make things better with this tour, but it's, uh, I love it too. And I love working with you, Peter, and I appreciate you coming here today to do this. And the last thing I want to ask what your definition of cowboy shit is. It's something we ask everybody in this definition the, of cowboy shit, what your definition of cowboy shit is uh, being not somebody that, that, competed before but you've seen it and you've been involved with it i'm, I'm curious what what your thoughts are on that I, I i guess i didn't send this to you earlier but i uh i'm not trying to put you on the spot but i'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are cowboy shit is what we do at the pbr put on an awesome awesome event uh bull riding in the dirt that's cowboy shit right down to, to the simplicity as far as i'm concerned awesome sean do you got anything else pete you didn't want to tell the story in edmonton about when some guy took his clothes off <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a streaker in Edmonton. First streaker that I've seen at a dirt event. Um, and when I say streaker, it was like the was was full deal. Well, yeah, it yeah. was the full deal. <laughs> Sean, you were beside me when that happened. <laughs> oh, man. Everybody froze. Nobody knew what to do. <laughs> Including me. When I, I watched him for about 20 seconds and then realized, I'm like, oh, fuck. This is my that, job. That's my job to do something about this. <laughs> oh, man. You reacted first because I remember you called for nobody letting any bulls into the arena, which was awful courteous. 
envious of you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That was one night that I, we were actually, Storm and I were in Swift Current and I had my laptop with our feed from Edmonton in front of me while I was working another perf. So I was playing music at another perf and I had Edmonton on and I was cutting the video as we were going and watching the perf and I I just saw like the... This naked guy? No, I didn't even see that. I just saw, I saw a clip come up that said, Dreaker, do not use. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> and I go and I look back and I'm like, holy crap, that is streaker. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And it was, it was quite entertaining for us to sit there and watch this during another perf. And I ended up showing Doug Young, who thought it was quite hilarious too. And Robert Schmidt was there and we were all watching this during our another perf at the CCA finals in Swift. But Thanks for doing such a great job. So the guy streaked. It was quite hilarious. <laughs> Thanks again, Peter Jabrat. I think I can honestly say that from the people I've met, you are the most interesting man in the world. You should drink <laughs> Dos Equis instead of wine because you're, <laughs> you are the definition of the most interesting man. Thanks for having met. me, Ted. It was fun. Awesome. Was really fun. Okay. Well, thank you. You're listening to Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. Sean, thanks for joining us today, and thanks for the help by uh, interviewing Peter there. And he's just incredible, isn't he? He yeah, it was a good time. He's... Uh, it was funny. He was kind of apprehensive about doing it, but I mean, that's just scratching the surface of the stuff that Peter's done and the kind of guy he is as well, right? Well, and we were at another event this weekend in Moncton, New Brunswick, and he had a bunch more stories. And I was like, crap, why didn't I ask about that? Crap, why didn't I ask about that? He's already committed to doing episode number 80. So nice. in like a year and a half, we'll have him back on again. But I mean, yeah, they, he's got so many cool stories. How about his energy when you guys oh, are he's incredible. Like the energy that he brings to an event and the excitement he brings to it. And it's wild he'll he pumps well, and, and any like he's just a such a fun guy to be around like we went to mexico and he had all these different things we had to do and we you know we had a different activity every day like there was just stuff going on all the time the guy just doesn't stop at all and speaking of that like talk about the lupe cup you've heard about it a little bit too sean i know people that have competed let's talk about that a little bit i've donated to it every year and his wife melinda is so organized the next morning after the event is over boom tax receipt in your email like she That's is impressive. on the ball but ted what's your plan to win this how are you going to train what's your strategy this is, a, is this a running race or what kind of race is this <laughs> i hope there's no running because i'm not much of a what is it much not, of a a rock, not much of a jogger it's a game, it's a game of, of skill. skill wit and determination and stuff or i i don't i really don't even know is it like family feud or right. jeopardy uh, I think it'd be more like Survivor. You get a daily double. Or are you gonna bet all your money? Uh yeah, obviously. I hate people don't do that. You gotta Coward. go for it. How about Davidson didn't do well because he drank? Yeah, that was a funny story. Got on the swish. What? Jason Davidson was a competitor. He didn't win the event because he got too liquored up. I guess that's what Peter you gotta, said. Gotta watch out for that. Yeah. So, so Ted, you got to start raising some money. Yeah, but. my minimum is 500 bucks. So we got to get through that here pretty quick. And then I want to raise a bunch of money. I think we can do a lot for the Lupe Cup, though, between uh, the Everything Cowboy. We're going to put it on there so you can find it there. You can search Lupe Cup or the Gems of Mazatlan on the Google or Facebook. Anywhere there is media that is social, check it out. Make sure to donate. Put my name on there. Help me out. If Stop pointing would. at me. Appreciate it. Wait, see. <laughs> I have like $1. You have more than $1 because you just worked your first rodeo on your own. And being a sound guy is, is a little bit better than working for Bud Light, I've heard. That's what people are saying. Wait, he's going to pull a Tyson Durfee and donate 10% of his earnings from every event. Oh, no, nah, that's a lie. <laughs> Who's telling you that? 10%? Yeah, 10, that's 10% of your fund. To my, no, to my, to my university degree. Oh, yeah, or to his to My education. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. Gateway Through College Foundation. Yeah. <laughs> So check it out though, Lupe Cup coming up in September. If you can donate, we sure appreciate it. Like you said, Peter, amazing guy. We gotta, we want to support him. So is this a public event? Like people like come watch the event? No, it's not actually. Okay. Yes, 
So private private function. It's good to people. Sorry, you're not invited. Well, people people need to know that too. Though. That's true. Good call. Yeah. Good call. But yeah, check it out, Lupe Cup. What else do you guys got? Okay, here's of... my question. Oh yeah. Guys. Okay. So this week on Shower Thoughts with Wazy. Uh, <laughs> Well, it was true. I was in the, I was in the shower. You know, when you, you're you, thinking about Sean in the shower. I was, I was thinking about, it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking like what you guys, I was thinking about this question that I came up with. It's like, so like we all, like you guys, we all rodeoed and stuff a little bit. What's the like weirdest or most terrible place you had to sleep throughout your career? Well, there's a picture of me that Peter has, I think, cause he was there that morning. It was in Ottawa and it was another one of those 6am flights out of the city and we were up the late the night before like mm-hmm. we always are but there's always an early flight that we can get on and sometimes instead of taking the one that comes back at like 4 p.m or something if it's direct i'll just get on the first one mm-hmm. and just sleep like an hour like we did this morning in moncton mm-hmm. i was sleeping underneath all of the benches in the airport <laughs> and i was like i had a few beers the night before so i was like feeling pretty good and I was taking videos of like the sky that night on the way in because I was just <laughs> super liquored and it looked so she had cool. more than a few beers. It was so bright. I was like, Oh my gosh. Look at that. But <laughs> <Wow>. then, <laughs> wow. Then I was, yeah, I passed out there cause we got there so early and I just like, just wake me up when the, when it's time to get on the plane. So I slept under there and it's actually pretty gross under there. There's a lot of well, yeah, uh, stuff. junk underneath yeah. there. They don't really vacuum too well. So yeah, that's probably mine. I mean, one time, we're in Mancota, Saskatchewan. That's and the we had, same weekend as it, it would just like happened. This past weekend, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we slept five people in my Hyundai Sonata. A four-door Whoa. car. Five people. That's impressive. Not, Clown car. It was not fun. Five in the Sonata? Well, yeah, no. but did you die? That's like one of the things that I really like about being part of the production side or the, like the yeah. contract work you side. You a real hotel. You had to stay in a real hotel. <laughs> I didn't get that privilege until I started doing good at riding bulls. Most of the time, I did a lot of car <laughs> sleeps and I don't we, miss those days. We had like, I think there was eight or 10 of us in a hotel room in Montreal one time back oh, in yeah. like 2011. It yeah. was like, it was Tanner, Krusty, and then it was Posy. I think Caddy was with us. Then it was like Max, Fort Miller, Tyler Thompson, Ty Elliott, and maybe, well, that, that's those four. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was like, it was eight or nine of us and I slept on my gear bag and maybe somebody else's gear bags because there was just st- shit scattered everywhere in the hotel room. Yeah, like I slept on the bags for like, it was like another two hour sleep or something because we had to get up and go to six, get a 6 a.m. flight to make hand hills that afternoon. But I slept on the gear bags between the beds. I think Ty slept on the freaking, like Posse slept on the windowsill. And we were in like the Fairmont in Montreal, like the like... Nice hotel. It was really nice. Yeah. What do you got, Sean? Uh, One time, Miles Pennington, Ty Prescott and somebody else came pick me up in the middle of the night from home. They were up north and we were driving into caster for slack steer riding four of us in a single cab truck and when we got there they were all zonked out but i didn't oh, no. i didn't have enough room so i jumped in the back of the truck to try sleep on my rig and bag but it couldn't have been more Wait, than like, like the truck box degrees. the truck box yeah the backpack unsheltered oh, out in the elements. oh wow <laughs> just roughing it just roughing it dang there's one year i was traveling with jared oversby a couple like aussies and that irish guy living with, living with us ian yeah so we did meadow lake brooks rocky mountain house and lee park that weekend so we started out meadow lake on thursday, thursday. we left wednesday ian and i we drove oh and you guys had to frig around and go all the way around countryside oh, to get back to lee park let sunday me, let me tell you this let me tell the story oh, i know the story <laughs> well it's funny well, 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 the, know, the, the listeners the listeners don't know the story yeah tell us the story yeah. Wait, see, I'm sorry. so there's four of us traveling in these guys van like they're here for the summer like they're 
Like it's a shitty and They're living van. in the van. They yeah. bought it for they're, two yeah. grand. So the, and it has a bed that built in the back and whatever. Yep. So the first night we're in Meadow Lake, we have to be in Brooks the next morning for 8 a.m. slack. Oof, that's a ways. So, yeah, so we drive to... So no we, time. You go no, all the way through. Yeah, we, we, sh- we pull into Brooks at like 6.30 a.m. And so only three people like fit in the bed. Yeah. And all, those, I was the and youngest. There's four of you. Yeah, and I was, the, I was the youngest. Rookie yeah, the rookie. Bitch. Yeah, I was a rookie bitch. So yeah. I had to sleep in the front seat of this van. I couldn't recline the seat because the bed was right behind it. So I had to oh, sit, no. sit like sleep upright. This went on for four nights. Oh, F that. Like, I didn't sleep in a real bed till I got home Monday night. Because oh, we, cause we ended shit. up staying in Rocky Mountain House on Sunday because those guys won the wild ride and won like two grand. That was Lee Park you stayed in. Yes, yeah, I in Rocky. That's what I meant. Yeah. We stayed in Rocky too. That was when I got so drunk they had to carry me out of the beer gardens. I wasn't, oh, wow. wasn't going to sleep any other way because I had to sleep sitting up for like four days. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And I would have gone slept outside on the ground or something. I, well, I, would, I, would, I got too <laughs> So I got to bring your bed roll and then, or your rigging bag, sleep on it. Yeah. So then those guys won the Lee Park Wild Ride. We stayed and had a Sunday fun at the committee and I, I, I just wanted to go home. Like, I wanted to sleep in a bed. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the most fun, but one oh, of the most dear. miserable times of my life. Dear. Yeah. That's rodeoing. That's <laughs> rodeoing. <laughs> well, this has been a hell of a show. Thanks again, Sean. Hope you had fun. You Hope bet. you enjoyed being part of episode number 40 of Cowboy Shit. Thanks again, our guest, Peter Gibrad. Make sure to check out Gems of Mazelon and Luke Bay Cup. Thanks again, Sean. This was episode 40 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wasey, brought to you by Everything Cowboy.